We looked last week at the denials of Peter, and you know Jesus warned him, and all and all the others as well. But they, but you know, people are people, and they're human, and, and we're human. But Jesus also said that he warned them that they would deny him, fall away, and but he says, "But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee." So he had this picture of hope and resurrection that there was a future, and he was going to meet with them again in Galilee, despite their failures and despite our failures. Peter had a little bit of too much self-confidence, but he did also have courage. We saw his, this kind of mixture in his life. He fought in the garden. He was there in the courtyard, but when he had those opportunities to speak up, he, he uh, failed in those, and he insisted that he didn't know Jesus, that he wasn't one of his. And, I, and I'm thinking about that today as well. You know, those, that's the two important things. Do we know him, and are we one of his? And are we willing to let people know those two things? I know him. I know Jesus. I was thinking, I was thinking last week, um, I don't usually talk about movies, because most movies are pretty much trash. I have to say it. What? Amen. <laughs> but there's a movie called Elf. How many of you have seen Elf? And you know, he sees Santa, right, and he says, I know him. You know, of course, he finds out it isn't the real Santa. For some of you that know, there is, there's one, only one real Santa. Oh, jeez, where did we go from here? <laughs> but, but the point is, he, he wasn't afraid to speak up and said that he knew him. Can we say that? I know Jesus. Like Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that. Keep that. Which I have committed unto him against that day. Thank you very much. It's like hot. I know whom I have believed. I know him. I know him. And I belong to him. But Jesus restored Peter, and he forgave him, and he healed him, just as, as the, all the others as well. And, and he restores us. He forgives us. He, he tells us, don't put any confidence in your own strength. And, and, but when the opportunities come, and they do come, the opportunities come, speak up. Don't deny him, and don't be silent. Speak up. Those are the three choices. Just speak up. Today we're looking at uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, this account, this night here in Matthew chapter 26 and starting in verse 36, um, I, I read a couple of, of quotes about this and, I, and it kind of rang true. One, one person said, no one can approach this account of the Garden of Gethsemane without realizing that he is walking on holy ground. And another one said, surely this is a passage which, which we must approach upon our knees in a passage like this, surely the demand is that study should pass into wondering adoration. Holy ground upon our knees, wondering adoration. And I think that that really applies to this passage here. Why? The main reason why. First of all, I want you to turn, keep your finger there in Matthew 26, but turn to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21.
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. This is really kind of the backdrop of the picture that we're going to look at right here now in in, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus would go there often. You can read about it in different places. He would go there, and and on this very night, he went there to pray. And and there are a number of of things. One, what we just read in that passage there, but also the the example of Jesus and some of the, the things we can learn from his example and prayer. But... But the question, what should you do when you're facing a trial? You should what? Pray. And that's what Jesus did. He was facing a trial. That's what Jesus did. He, he, he went to pray. And this was the biggest trial of his life. This was the biggest trial, really, of the whole human race, I want to say. This is the very biggest event, momentous thing that would happen. And what did, what did he do? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. When you and I are facing trials, what do we do? We should pray. Many times we just try to work harder. Many times we we call all of our friends. We call a lifeline. We do all these different things that we can do. We try to, uh, you know, maneuver around. But we need to pray, and that's what Jesus did. He went and prayed. He got down and he prayed. In the Garden of Gethsemane. The, the name Gethsemane, by the way, means oil press. It was a place for, for, uh, for squeezing the oil from the olives. Can you, can you put that picture up for us, please? I want you just to get a visual picture of where this is, this place called Gethsemane. This is uh, looking from up on the Temple Mount area, so looking across to the Mount of Olives, Right? And where you see the big buses and all that, that's kind of like the, uh, the Kidron Valley. You read that in the, in the uh, Bible. But, but those areas of trees, in that area of trees there, there was like a garden where there were a bunch of olive trees and, and, and a, a place for pressing the oil out of the olives. That's where Jesus went. And just up over the hill and beyond was a place called Bethany, which, you know, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. So this is kind of in between the city of Jerusalem and, and Bethany. So they went to this place, this place called the oil press. And look at verse 36. It says there, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He brought all of them. But he went a little further as well. Look at verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He took the three closest to him, his three closest companions, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. This anguish and sorrow and trouble, this distress that he was feeling that was weighing down upon him. What is that all about? He just had a little trial, a little trouble. No, it's what we were talking about, the sin of the whole world being put upon him. He knew knew what was coming. He knew what he was facing. Someone said one can almost see Christ staggering under the load of a a world's sin, the deep, dark 
horror of the cross was already filling his consciousness. The sins of the whole human race to be put upon him. What does he do? He goes to pray. He goes to pray. And he says to his disciples there, verse 38, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Stay here, he says, and keep watch with me. But, but this idea that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Now, Jesus was fully God, but Jesus was also fully man. For him to experience this, he felt sorrow. He felt overwhelmed. He knew what it was to uh, you know, be twisted and pushed and pulled in, the, in the, the pressure of life. Of course, we know. It was much, much more than that, much, much more than you and I would ever, ever imagine. But he felt these things, being fully man. But being fully God as well, he knew what was ahead, that that he would be forsaken by his Father, that he would face this terrible execution, that he would bear the sins of the whole world. John Corson, the pastor in Oregon, he says this, not only... Did he feel the wrath of God poured upon him as he would die? But his suffering would go much, much farther and longer than what we could possibly imagine. Jesus didn't suffer for just a few hours that afternoon because Revelation 3.8 speaks of the lamb slain even before the foundation of the world. See, he knew. He knew before the foundation of the world what he was going to do, being fully God. He says to his disciples, stay here and keep watch with me. And, and, you know, he wanted his friends with him there. Again, he was fully human, fully man. He wanted his friends with him there up to a point. We're going to see he goes on by himself. But, but I think there certainly is a value of having friends with us to walk with us through trials and troubles. People that we can say, hey, Man, I'm really having a hard time. Do you have someone like that? Have you made any kind of a relationship with someone that you can say, listen, I'm really, really struggling and I need someone to pray for me and with me? I know it's hard sometimes to reach out and make friends, to get to know people. Again, what I was saying earlier about getting involved, if you would get involved in something other than just coming and sitting here on a, on a Sunday morning where you actually have to interact with someone in a small group, in a prayer meeting, in a ministry, in, in some kind of thing where you actually are face-to-face with people instead of looking at the back of their heads, looking at my wonderful uh, mug. By the way, that reminds me. Remember I showed you a picture of some of my brothers on the screen a few weeks back. And uh, my hearing isn't that good, but I heard there was like a little kind of a collective sigh, like <gasps> when those pictures came up. And, and one of my brothers, um, he's been having a hard time. He's been having a hard time lately, but, but he's calling me. He's calling me, asking me to pray for him. And I'm just like blown away. And he's calling me, and I'm trying to find people out there, like biker people who will go, and one came, and now I, you know, trying to make these connections to go and minister to him. Because he's saying, I want, I want, you know, I want to, I want to give this a chance. I want, you know, and, and, and I'm just praying God to help him understand what that means. And over the phone, it's so difficult to explain. But, but uh, 
The reason I thought about that is because there's some that don't look as good as me. I don't know how else to say that. In my family. He has hair. I mean, look at verse 39. It says he went a little further and he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He, he went, he had his friends with him, but again, up to a point, it got to a point where he needed to go and be by himself, completely, totally alone, by himself. And, and, there is a sense where you and I, we need to get to that place too where it's just you and God. It's just me and God. It's between us and Him to do business with Him. It's a serious, very serious thing. And others will not be able even to enter into that with us because they don't really know what we're going through. Oh, I understand what you're going through. No, you don't understand what I'm going through. You know those, those kinds of sayings and phrases. One commentator said this, he said, he took with him his three chosen disciples, but they were so exhausted they couldn't stay awake. And Jesus had to fight his battle all alone. He said, that also is true of every man. There are certain things a man must face and woman, and certain decisions we must make in the awful loneliness of our own soul. And there are times when other helpers fail and comforts flee But in that loneliness, there is for us the presence of one who in Gethsemane experienced it and came through it. In that loneliness, he says, Jesus will be there with you because he knows what what that's like. He's been there. It says he fell with his face to the ground, and, and I'm a real believer in falling with your face to the ground. But most often that's going to happen between just you and God and no one else around. No one else needs to know. You, you go lock yourself in your closet. Maybe your closet isn't big enough. Go lock yourself in the bathroom. Go lock yourself in the basement. Go somewhere between you and God and get on your face before God. I'm not saying that to boast that that's what I would do, but you know what? I know that kind of anguish where there, there's nothing that, nothing that, that is going to do it except falling on your face before the Almighty God. I can honestly say that God hears and God answers. Doesn't mean that he changes the situation every time. In fact, here in this situation, did God change the situation for Jesus? No, he did not change the situation. Jesus prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And and, and is that not the prayer of us? Our prayer so often? God, you know... Can't we do this another way? Can't we, can't we, you know, find a different way? Is there a different cup? And I don't think Jesus was trying to get out of it. Again, he's known about it from the very foundation of the world, but, but being fully, fully human as well, is there not another way that we can do this? Isn't there another way that we can make this relationship between God and man restored? This cup. Someone said this, though, that Jesus drank from the cup of God's wrath so we might never have to drink it. And the truth is there was no other way. There was no other way. 
We face in life lots of different trials, and we have cups that we drink, but they're never going to be anything like this cup. Never going to be anything like this cup. But we do face trials, and we have cups that we need to drink. And, and, and someone this said this, Take whatever cup God offers you and say with our Lord, not as I will, but as you will. And that's, that's Jesus' prayer here. And again, the example of Jesus that he would pray, not what, what my will would be, but as you, as you would will. Not my will, but your will be done. And that's, you know, as we can pray, as we get down and we pray and we, we surrender and we submit it to completely to the will of God the Father. Someone said that's the greatest prayer that anyone can pray. That's the greatest prayer that anyone can pray. Not my will, but yours be done. What does it take to pray like that? It takes trust, doesn't it? It takes trust. Trust that God knows what he's doing. Trust that God is sovereign, that he is still in charge and in control no matter what for you and I. That's why he taught us to pray, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God did not take the cup away from Jesus. It was his will. It was his perfect will. But turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. It's an interesting a couple of verses here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke twenty-two forty-three. He says those same words in verse 42, right? And then it says in verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. God sent an angel to help him through that. But look what it also says in verse 44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He prayed more earnestly. He, he was given strength and he prayed more. He didn't stop. He prayed more earnestly. But, but they, you know, scientists have, have looked at this passage and they said that that actually is possible that you could be under such intense pressure that the blood vessels would burst and you could actually be sweating drops of blood. This is, could actually happen in very, very rare cases. And again, the, the pressure that he faced is more than you and I will ever even imagine to face. He prayed more earnestly. We see in this passage back in Matthew 26, he prayed, prayed again and again and again. He prayed more earnestly. Verse 40, back in Matthew 26, he says, Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. You remember, these were the guys that all said, whoa, yeah, we're with you, we're behind you 100%, we're going to go for it. Yeah, we'll never deny you. They couldn't even stay awake. Oh, man, we've had a long day. No commentary needed on this, I think. But I, ha I saw that, and it kind of stood out to me. It says, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, where are the men? Verse 41, he says, watch and pray. This is for all of us. 
so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Watch, be vigilant, and pray so that we will not fall into temptation. Spiritually, in our own spirits, in the very heart of who we are, if we are born again, if we, if we truly have Jesus living inside of us, there, there's a sense we want to do the right thing. We want to follow Jesus. Yes, we're excited. We want to do it. But then our flesh, our body, screams out to do something else. Paul talked about it too in Romans, right? Romans 7. You know, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. There's this battle that's taking place. The flesh and the spirit. The spirit and the flesh are always fighting and fighting. What does he say? How do you, what do you do? Jesus said to pray. To pray. To face what's ahead because your flesh isn't going to help you out in that time of need. Your flesh is going to scream out. I remember at our last uh, huddle up in New Hampshire, Lloyd, our, our, our guest speaker, he said, you know, uh, it's like going to a prayer meeting. My flesh is screaming out, don't go, you don't want to go. And then you go and, and you fight that and you get there and you pray and you go, wow, this is incredible. God is, is here and what a, what a blessing it was to be together. And then the next week comes around and you go, my flesh is crying out again, you should go to the pool. You should go to the beach. You should do all these things. There's so much that you should do. Your flesh is not, not necessarily going to give you that quote-unquote peace to do what God wants you to do. Well, I didn't have a peace about it. No, because your flesh wanted to do something else. That's got nothing to do with peace. That's flesh. Right? My flesh is crying out for iced coffee right now. I'm telling you what. I'm trying to, trying to finish this up so we can get to it. But there's such an important message here. Is there not in these words? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, taking upon himself the sin of all the world, and, and, and we cry and whine and moan, oh, we've got to pray before we eat. Why? My flesh wants the food. I can't take those extra few seconds. What? Pray ahead of time. That's why the, the old uh, saints used to say, are you all prayed up? Are you prayed up ahead of time so that you can face what's ahead? Because he was going to face the cross and he was, he was praying before time to, to be right, to be ready. Verse 42, he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. And you and I know that it was not possible. There was no other way. Jesus had to die for us, for you and for me. There is no other way for the human race to be reconciled with God. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no, you know, multiple paths that lead to God. There's only one path. It's the path of the cross. There's only one way to Jesus Christ. Excuse me, to God the Father through Jesus Christ. I like what someone said here in the second prayer. He says, what was the answer? He said, there was none. The heavens were silent. He says, by this eloquent silence, we know that there was no other way for God to justify guilty sinners than for Christ, the sinless Savior, to die as our substitute. 
the heavens were silent. Sometimes you and I pray, huh, and we think, man, I'm not hearing anything. I'm not hearing anything. Well, maybe there's an answer in that, too. Be still and know that He is God. Be quiet. And in that place, Jesus was completely submitting to the Father's will. Completely submitting to the Father's will. Verse 43, when He came back again, He again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Mark adds, they did not know what to say to Him. I can relate to that. Duh. I I don't know what to say. Then don't say anything at all. So he left them, verse 44, and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. Said the same thing. Say, well, well, I was told that you know, when you pray, you just pray once, you pray in faith and you never repeat the same thing again because that's a lack of faith. Well, what? Jesus, he went and he prayed three times the same thing. You know what? It's not for God to hear it three times. It's for you and I to know that we are praying and we are repeating and we're going to God with this thing that you and I know that it's, it's laid before the throne of God. It's not wrong to keep praying about something. Keep praying, keep praying until, until God does answer. I think he knew at this point course he already knew from the foundation of the world but there was something that at this point in time he just it 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 it, it was like he he was persistent in prayer and God just was right there with him the presence of God we heard about that this morning the presence of God was right there with him persistent in prayer oh yeah I prayed about that once well I guess it didn't really mean that much I guess it wasn't that important. If you only pray about it once, means it really isn't that important. But if it's something you're praying about over and over again, it's like, it's like so important to us, to you, to me. Verse 45, he, again, he returned to the disciples and, and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? He says that to you and I too. Some of you are sleeping and resting right here today. I have to... And I know it's the heat, and I know what it's like sitting in the seat, too. I get tired. I get drowsy. It's hard for me. My wife will say, she'll tell you. I have to say, hit me or something. I'm I'm getting drowsy. Throw something at me. He said, look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. They had this time of prayer. Well, let's say he had this time of prayer. It should have been they, but it was he. And sometimes it's just us. Sometimes there isn't anybody praying with us. That doesn't make it any less effective. But he says it's time to get up. It's time to go. And when he says, let's go, does he say into let's run? No. Let's go, he says. Here comes my betrayer. The cross is coming. The cross is here. The time is now. It wasn't a time to run. It was a time to face the cross. It was a time to face what was just ahead. It was time to face the battle that was coming, that was there. But you see that he prayed first. 
The prayer came first and then let's get up in time to go. The commentator and pastor Barclay, he says, rise, Jesus said. The time for prayer, Jesus says, and the time for the garden is past. Now is the time for action. Let's face life at its grimmest and men at their worst. And Jesus rose from his knees to go out to the battle of life, and that's what prayer is for. In prayer, a man kneels before God that he may, that he may stand in the face of men. In prayer, a man enters heaven that he may, may face the battles of earth. We pray and then we go. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is kind of, this is holy ground, isn't it? So summing up, Jesus in prayer, knowing what was ahead that, that he would face, being forsaken by the Father. He would say, my, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We'll get to that later in the book. Knowing that he would bear upon himself the sins of the whole world at the cross. Prayer. This being vigilant. This, this watch and pray. So many times we're not even paying attention. He says, pay attention. Watch. Pay attention and pray. Pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh isn't necessarily going to help you out in the time of need. Prayer, submitting to God's will. His will, not mine. His will, not mine. Do you know him? Do you, have you believed and received him? Are you one of his? That's really what it's all about. Amen? Let's pray together, shall we?